So last week was Easter. If you guys were here, uh, it was a very, very fun weekend. We had 324 people in services last weekend. <laughs> Crazy awesome uh, day for us. Uh, 11 people started a relationship with Jesus, which is astronomical, even cooler. So definitely round of applause for that. Um, amazing, amazing weekend. We talked all about, of course, The Wrecking Ball and uh, the relationship to that song. And, and looking at it, I guess even maybe deeper than Miley ever expected it to be looked at. And we found some gems in there. If you guys didn't see the message, I'd encourage you to go back and, and listen to it. Not just because it's like I wrote the message and I think it's great. Um, I think it just it made sense. And God really revealed a lot um, in that that I think was really, really cool for us. So we talked all about Miley. Now Miley, obviously this last year, has made a big impression in the world. Um, Miley Cyrus was the MTV uh, Artist of the Year in 2013. She also was on pretty much like every news agency cycle at one time or another. Um, and certainly everyone talked about her in so many different ways. Most people, right, this last year, you would admit, in some way or another, whether on radio, TV, internet, something, Miley has bumped into you, right? Yes? Yes? Okay, she's bumped into you in some way. She's had an effect on this society, and, and she's been very, very popular in conversation this last year. But Miley Cyrus is not new to popularity. This is nothing new for her. The, the interesting thing is, um, in, in preparation for this message, um, I did a whole bunch of research on Miley Cyrus, more than I would actually normally want to do. So it's, it's all for you. It's all for you guys. But... Um, you know, Miley's character is so big now that we can almost forget what her life previously was. So I'm going to give you a little bit of backstory, just to start with, with Miley Cyrus, okay? Miley was born November 23rd, 1992, and you might not know it, but her name is not actually Miley, or was not actually Miley. She was named Destiny Hope Cyrus when she was born. Her dad, the famous or infamous, depending on how you think about him, Billy Ray Cyrus, who is popular for what song? Thank you. Yes, Achy Breaky Heart. This song, believe it or not, was huge. Okay, you might think like, yeah, I remember it. If you lived through that, how many people, real quick, who lived through that generation? You remember the Achy Breaky Heart days, right? Okay. Did you guys know that that song was translated into over 100 languages? Over 100 languages, which I know, maybe I'm just silly, but I would love to hear, like, some different translations, wouldn't you? Like, the, like, the Taiwanese version of, like, Achy Breaky Heart, and get to see, like, what does that sound like? The Russian version of Achy Breaky Heart, right? You know, like, I think it would just be terrific. Not only was that song big, um, it actually rocketed uh, the whole square dancing back into popularity. If you have a computer, if you have YouTube, please go back and watch the music video to Achy Breaky Heart. It is a beauty. Wow. The mullet was gorgeous. I mean, it was just flowing back there, the legit party in the back. It was intense. But Miley, of course, grew up with her dad, so uh, far from normal having a dad like Billy Ray Cyrus. Um, he was actually acting at the time when she was growing up in a, uh, a Canadian uh, sitcom, believe it or not. She wrote her first song at age six. And that's pretty impressive, right? Six years old to be writing a song. She was always into music. And of course, at 11 years old, she hit it big when she got cast as the role of Hannah Montana. Hannah Montana on Disney Channel was this, this show about this young girl who went to school, and then on the weekend, she was actually like a music, like a pop star. 
And she got cast into this role at 11 years old, and I mean, popularity exploded with Hannah Montana. If you guys are a little bit older, you probably remember when every little girl had everything that had Hannah Montana's face on it, right? I mean, it was everywhere. Hannah Montana on notebooks, on pencils, on on lunchboxes, on backpacks. Hannah Montana everywhere. It was huge. She was there for basically four years from 11 till about 16 um, when she actually got done with the whole Hannah Montana phase. But, I mean, amazing amount of success inside of that. In 2007, her uh, concert tour as Hannah Montana, there were tickets in that concert tour that were being scalped for over $2,500 to see a Hannah Montana concert. You're talking about an insane amount of need to see this girl. Parents were literally willing to spend $2,500 to get their kids to be able to see this girl because people were so in love with her, especially young girls. After those four years, multiple different CDs, um, some movies as Hannah Montana. She stepped away from that. She made some of her own movies. She made some of her own CDs. Had some other good hits, ones that you'd remember, probably ones like uh, The Climb, which was actually a really, really popular song of hers. Uh, Party in the USA. Anybody? Yeah? You remember Party in the USA? Good one. She had some movies which were really, really terrible. Don't bother seeing them. Um, I really, I'm just sorry. The last song, not that great. Lol, don't ever watch that movie. I don't know why Amy and I ever decided one night to watch that movie. It was such just, I'm like, this is the worst acting I've ever seen in my entire life. It's not even acting. But then after all of that, after all these different things, by the time she was 19, get this, after all the Hannah Montana days and some of that other music career and the, and the movies and stuff, at 19, she was named the richest teenager in Hollywood. She was already worth around $150 million at 19 years old. That's pretty crazy, right? 19 years old, and she was already worth around $150 million. I mean, a lot, a lot of money had come her way through these things. Obviously, she started growing into adulthood this last year, completely renovated her look, um, took a whole different perspective and persona and who she is, um, kind of became kind of raunchy and, and went a whole different way, and, uh, and had a lot of success as well this last year in relationship to people talking about her um, and wanting to go see her in concerts, see about her, talk about her. The question that I'm asking you today, and come on the back of all this, this Easter conversation, is, is what would God say to Miley Cyrus? More specifically, what would Jesus say to Miley Cyrus? What would Jesus say to Miley? If he was to sit down with her and talk to her, what would Jesus say to Miley? Because we see these big characters that are huge, and we think like, yeah, I wonder, right? Like, if Jesus sat down with Miley Cyrus, what would he say? Well, I'm not just going to speculate, because I could just start saying, like, oh, I think this and this and this. What I'm going to do is I'm going to actually take a look at God's Word, and we're going to look at who Jesus is, his character, his interpretation, or, I mean, his association with other people. And I think that we can get an accurate picture of what I think might be one of the things that Jesus would say to Miley Cyrus. So what you're going to do is, you have a Bible with me, you can turn to John 4. If not, it's going to be up here on the screen as well, too. But there's a story about Jesus. Jesus was moving around. He was teaching at this time with his disciples, and... um, He had to go from Judea to Galilee, and in between is this area named Samaria. And it said he had to stop in the city of Samaria. Now, real quick side note for you. Samaria is not somewhere that any Jew wanted to stop. Jesus, of course, was Jewish. Samaria was like the bad neck of the woods. Like, basically, you have uh, Judea and you have, uh, excuse me, yeah, Judea and Galilee, and you have Samaria right in between, and the Jews would go around Samaria instead of going through it. 
They hated the area. They disliked the people. There was this big cultural stigma of people who were Samaritans. Now, obviously, we have a slightly different picture because we have things like we think of the Good Samaritan. That was Jesus using something that shocked them because everyone thought, like, nothing good comes out of Samaria, an area that no one would want to be. And says Jesus had to go to Samaria. And the way the story goes is that they went through Samaria, and about noon one of the days, uh, the disciples decided they were going to go into town to get some uh, food, and Jesus hung out at a well. He sat down at a well, and as he was sitting there around noontime, this woman came up to the well, and Jesus has this interaction with him. And that's where I want to read for you. It would be John 4, starting in verse 7. Here's what it says. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? You kind of see her reaction to it, right? I mean, a pretty sharp cultural divide that her response is like, Why in the world would you ask me for a drink? Basically like, You know who you're talking to here? Jesus replies, If you only knew the gift God has for you, and who you're speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Let's stop there for a second, and we'll come back to that story. Jesus sits down with this woman in Samaria, and he begins to have this conversation. He asks her to give him a drink, and we see her reaction to it. She's shocked that he would, he would talk to her, because this is very, very out of the ordinary. First of all, like I said, Jews would want nothing to do with Samaritans. They wouldn't even bother talking to them. In one of the other parables, Jesus said, literally, he says, like, a Samaritan got hurt, or whatever, a person got hurt, and, like, they would go around, like, basically, they would walk around these people. They wouldn't walk up to them. They wouldn't look them in the eye. Second thing, he was a man talking to woman. This was very, very strange in this culture. Men wouldn't look at women in the eyes if they weren't their wife. They were below them, and they would not have a conversation with them. Surely, they wouldn't sit down and talk to them because a man doesn't have time to be bothered by a woman. And last of all, which we're going to see in a few minutes, a rabbi would never sit down with somebody as sinful as what this girl turns out to be. This would never happen. And here's what I want, to, I want to say about this and what I see about this. To start, before we even get into what Jesus would say to Miley, let me say this. Jesus would talk to Miley Cyrus. Jesus would talk to Miley Cyrus. We see this in his character. Jesus walked past these boundaries that normal people would say, oh no, too sinful, too this, this, and he went into this. In fact, it says in the Bible, Jesus had to go to Samaria, but what's interesting is this is the only thing that happened in Samaria. He didn't have some other big deal. He didn't have like a business deal or he had some like prominent person to talk to. In fact, they said he had to go through Samaria And the only thing that's recorded is he sat down with this woman. And believe it or not, this is the longest conversation between Jesus and a person recorded in Scripture, and it's between a Samaritan woman and Jesus, a Jewish rabbi. Jesus would want to talk to Miley Cyrus. We can have this tendency as as Christians to step away and try to isolate so much from the fact that somebody who's sinful or is doing something wrong that Jesus wouldn't want anything to do. Surely Jesus wouldn't want to talk to Miley. He wouldn't do that. He, you know, if anything, maybe he'd just like send her a text or something and be like, man, twerk your way to church this Sunday. You know, JC. That's it. That's as close as I'm getting, right? We ain't hanging out. I'll send you a text. That, that's all good. But, but we're, not, we're not sitting down together. We're not talking together. This is what Jesus did. He sat down with somebody. Other people said he wouldn't sit down with them. It's a lot of people. 
who would think that, that Jesus wouldn't want anything to do with Miley Cyrus. Certainly he wouldn't sit down and have a talk with her, but I'm telling you he would. We see this in his character. This happened over and over again, and the religious people hated this about Jesus. They hated Jesus for this. All the people who really, really thought they knew the Bible, they saw Jesus, and this is one of the biggest things that griped them, where they're like, man, this guy can't be true. Look how he sits down with. There's this another story in Luke 5. Jesus is leaving a city, and he bumps into this guy named Levi, and, and all of a sudden this interaction happens, and it just shocks the people who are religious. It says this in Luke 5, starting in verse 27. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting in his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Now, many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. It's a rough crowd. It's other people who are like him and other people who hang out with people like him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? That's a pretty harsh word, isn't it, talking about people? Why would you eat and drink with such scum? And Jesus answers them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they're sinners and need to repent. Man, the religious people, they hated this about Jesus. They hated it about Jesus. Jesus wasn't afraid to walk into a grimy situation. He wasn't afraid to sit down and be the most holy person in the room, surrounded by a bunch of sinners. He wasn't afraid that their sickness was going to get on him because he knew he was the anecdote to their sickness. He wasn't afraid their darkness was going to get on him because he was the light coming into the darkness. Jesus would sit down and talk to Miley Cyrus. This is part of who his character is, that he cares for those who are sick, those who are far away from God. He wants to have a conversation with them. This is the exact same reason why we are the way that we are as a church. If you wonder, why on earth would a church do a wrecking ball Easter? It's because we're not called to come and heal those who are already healthy. We're called to come here to heal those who are sick. Do you know what this wrecking ball Easter, do you, do you know who this doesn't interest? Religious Christians. And we don't want them in this church. Does that sound mean? We don't need religious Christians coming and hanging out with us in this church because this church is following the call of Jesus, which was to go into the darkest areas and get those that are so far away from God, so far pulled away from him that they know nothing about him and to reach to them and say, come and hear about this Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, we speak a language that they understand. We, do, we talk about a wrecking ball. We talk about all this because it's something they've heard. And we say, come and hear how this applies to Jesus Christ and we speak truth. Let me just tell you this real quick because I, I just, you know, I get, I get fired up sometimes, you know, people talking, um, you know, about our church real quick. If you're just wondering, you know, people hand out different things. I heard different people say like, are you sure this is a real church? You know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's a real church, but last week we had 11 people start a relationship with Jesus. So if we're not a church, we're doing a really bad job not being a church. I mean, we are really sucking it up at not being a church. Because last week we had 324 people come here, and 11 people started a relationship with Jesus. Last night another woman started a relationship with Jesus. So if we're not a church, man, if we're not a church, we're doing a really bad job at it. Because stuff is happening. And Jesus, he wasn't afraid to walk into a place where they're sinners. And we aren't either. We aren't either. We're not afraid of religious people to point and say, why? 
Why would you sit down with such scum? That's what people think about our church. Think about people who follow Jesus who are willing to hold hands with sinners that are sick. Just like Jesus was, we are as well too. Jesus would sit down and talk to Miley Cyrus. We'd talk about what Jesus would say to Miley Cyrus. We'd talk about a wrecking ball Easter because we're not afraid that that sin is going to contaminate us because we have the anecdote in our heart. It's Jesus. Jesus would sit down and talk to Miley Cyrus. We've got to start from there and then we can move forward. Let's go back to, uh, to the story in John 4. I know you're like, come on, Cameron, tell me what Jesus would say to Miley Cyrus. We're getting there, okay? Trust me. Trust me, we're getting, we're getting there. It just takes a second. You've got to read this with me, and, and we'll get there, okay? So we're going to finish this story. She comes, he talks to her. He says, will you draw me a you know, drink? She says, you know, basically, hey, you know, I'm a Samaritan. And he says, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me. I'd be giving you living water. So this is her response, starting in verse 11. But, sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoy? Now stop right here, because this is where it's funny, right? She's like, are you saying you're better than Jacob? And she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm God. I, actually, we created Jacob, so yeah. I am. It's kind of funny when you know the backstory and you see these interactions, don't you? Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Now, this is obviously something bigger than just a picture of the water. And we think maybe she's going to catch it, but it turns out she doesn't. Verse 15 shows us this. Please, sir, the woman said, Give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I don't have to come here to get water. So she didn't quite get it yet. But let's look at Jesus' response to her because she's obviously, he's offering something, she wants it. And here's what he says to her, which is kind of a, a surprising statement in verse 16. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. And we can see this this verse in response to this interaction with Jesus. And you can almost think, what, what's Jesus doing here? I mean, he's, is, he like, is he like picking on this girl? I mean, like, why is, he, why is he calling this out? And why is he, and he's talking about living water. Then all of a sudden, he's like, go get your husband. And he meets her with this whole reality of, of, of what her life is. And, and here's what I, what I see in this. And here's what I think is important for us to catch in relationship to talking about what would Jesus say to Miley Cyrus? He's talking to this woman, and he says, now go and get your husband. And the reason why he did this is what he's doing is calling into question what her identity is. What Jesus is saying to this woman is, who are you? Who are you? Because this reveals something about this woman. She had obviously lived a life where she was searching for something, trying to find her identity already through five husbands, and the one she's living with now wasn't even her husband. Who are you? What are you? What are you searching for that you keep going to these men over and over and over again? I believe this reveals some of her life, that this was an unhappy life where she was always trying to find another husband, or maybe these husbands kept leaving her, and she got another man and another man and another man. But not only that, but this reveals something that we see in, in who she is and the time frame of the story. You remember what I said was that this happened at noon. Jesus was sitting out at this well at noon, and this woman came to get water. No one came to get water at noon. 
In this area, you come early in the morning while the sun is low, or you come late in the day when the sun is low. This is a, a desert area. Nobody would come at high noon when the sun is up in the sky just scorching down. You see, this woman came to the well at noon because she didn't want to bump into the other women in town. This woman came to the well at noon because she was hoping nobody would be there, nobody will see me. Let's not be coy. All of us have known people or know people that when people share their name, a one-word association comes with it, doesn't it? Fed friends, family, people who we know, colleagues, coworkers. When someone says their name, somebody else replies blank. A name that's on them, that's tagged on them from people. And it's associated with them. And what he's saying, what I believe he's calling out in this, is this woman was living like what everyone else was calling her. Oh, that's that girl that's had five husbands. You see, she's shacking up with the sixth. Isn't she a blank? Jesus says, who are you? You're living right now. Why are you coming at noon? You're living out that identity that those people are giving you, aren't they? Aren't you? You're living like that person. Still, look, it's been five times and you've probably had this nickname for a long time. And look, you're still shacking up with number six. You're just proving them right. You're still just living in this identity that they've given you. Who are you? Man, who are you? I believe that if Jesus sat down with Miley Cyrus, this is what he would say to her. He'd say, Miley, Miley, who are you? When I look through Miley's life and I... I got an overview of it, I see a girl who does not understand her identity. A girl who, when she was born to Billy Ray, began to try to do everything in life left-handed because Billy Ray was left-handed. Billy actually makes fun of her and says she's actually right-handed. She writes writes right-handed and all of that. But she wanted to do everything left-handed because dad did everything left-handed. That as she grew up, she followed her dad as he was acting, and then all of a sudden she wanted to be an actor too, like her dad. And at 11 years old, she got this amazing opportunity to step into the role of Hannah Montana. But get this, first of all, real quick, does anyone remember being 11 years old, what you were like? I mean, reality of, I know we thought we were adults, right, by 11 years old, but how impressionable we are. Man, how easily our, our identity is, is still so fluid and, and ununderstood. And Miley gets an acting job at 11 years old. But get this, if this isn't the kicker, she doesn't just get an acting job at 11 years old. She gets an acting job of playing a role of a person who lives a fake life and plays a role. She begins to act in a role where she not only doesn't act as herself, she acts as Miley Stewart, who's acting as Hannah Montana. The role that she plays from 11 to 16 is the role of somebody living a double life. Somebody who's playing, basically, back and forth, not actually being fully who they are. She's playing a story of somebody who's a story of somebody for those first years of her life. Not only that, but it's not just the the acting side of it, but in the music side, at the exact same time, I mean, Hannah Montana just exploded. They put her face on everything. They put her, her, her words on everything, her name on everything. But what was interesting is none of that fame was Miley Cyrus. 
There was no Miley Cyrus backpacks. There was no Miley Cyrus thermoses. They were Hannah Montana thermoses. And she was famous for the acting role that she portrayed. Not only that, but she jumped into the music world. They released multiple CDs. And when those CDs came out, do you know who was given credit for singing them? Hannah Montana. All of the the concerts that she had and all these things, the headliner wasn't Miley Cyrus. It was Hannah Montana. She played a role for the first Five years of that transitional period from childhood becoming an adult, trying to figure out who you are. She played a role that gained her respect, that gained her attention, that gained her all of this finance, all of these things. It was all her playing a role of somebody who she would never was at such a young age. She said this, I've never been a normal person because I had to grow up so fast because of what I was given. She spent all of those formative years, those years we make such decisions and and, and ideas of who we really are, developing our identity, playing a role, and gaining favor from society. And then all of a sudden, around 16 years old, she walked away from this. That's the problem with being a childhood star, is you don't stay a child forever, do you? You have to walk away from it, and you have to try something new because you no longer fit that role. And as she stepped away, she stepped into the music industry and she wrote some songs. She stepped into the acting industry and she made some movies. And her popularity began to dive. Songs didn't do that well. She had a couple, but the lowest uh, sold songs in her career was after the Hannah Montana days when she started to try to be Miley Cyrus. Movies didn't do so well. People didn't line up like they did, man, about Hannah Montana movie and stuff like that. The movies that she was in, they begin to kind of drop off and, and fade away. And I think a lot of people would have looked at Miley Cyrus and said, just another child star. Give it another few years. No one will ever even remember her name. Her peak, man, the, the climax of her career, Hannah Montana. And that's when she was exciting. And we're just kind of seeing the slow burn of her trying to make it, but not really making it. Then all of a sudden, a little over a year ago, she completely changed who she was. Stepped out in a whole different direction, shaves her head, dyes her hair, multiple tattoos, changes her get up to be very, very raunchy, very, very sexualized, showing off as much of her as she can. And her fame skyrockets again. Wrecking Ball, the song that she released that we talked about, was actually her first number one song ever on the billboards. None of her other songs had ever made it that far. Wrecking Ball did. Man, she steps up and she becomes the artist of the year in 2013. People are talking about her again. The paparazzi are chasing her again, just like in the Hannah Montana days. Same type of thing. She's popular. She's the talk of the news. Everyone wants to know about her. Everyone wants to see her. America is talking about Miley Cyrus again. I think more than anything, when I look at Miley Cyrus, I see a girl who's still 11 years old trying to figure out her identity. Just she's a 21-year-old with hundreds of millions of dollars. So she does this on a world stage. Same problem, though. I don't think this girl has ever figured out who she is. In a recent interview talking about her upcoming tour, she had to pick out all of her costumes for this tour she's on. And this is her comment to to the interviewer. I have a hard time picking out my clothes because I don't know who I'm going to be in three months. You know, she doesn't say, I don't know 
what I'm going to like to wear in three months, the words from her mouth, her quote, I don't know who I'm going to be in three months. I see a girl who has yet to actually find out what her identity is. I see a girl who her entire life since early on, she's been trying to be something. And at 11, she got this amazing dose of popularity, but it came by playing a role And I see a girl now who realizes that if I follow the trends, if I follow what America likes, if I do something that gets their attention, I can get their love and respect again. Or even their disrespect, but at least they're talking about me. I see somebody whose identity is rooted in that, and I believe this is what Jesus would say. He'd say, Miley, who are you? No, not not the roles. No, not not the the wardrobe, not not the wrecking ball. Who are you? Deep down in here, take away all that, man, all that pomp and all that, all that stuff that's on your name that people talk about. Who are you? Because that's what Jesus wants, is he wants to get down to the real of who we actually are, our core, our center. Just like this woman who we talked to. He says, see how you're acting, but who are you? He's trying to get through that veil. The reality is, is a lot of us look at Miley Cyrus and we say, you know, that makes sense, Cameron. I think you hit the nail, man, right on the head as, as far as Miley Cyrus is concerned. But let me, let me really real with you. Um, I think all of us have a little more Miley in us than we'd like to admit. All of us have a little bit of Miley Cyrus in us. All of us struggle with the idea of kind of dealing with the fact of our identity in relationship to what people think of us. The problem is, is see, we, we just don't live it on a $150 million scale in front of all these news agencies and stuff like that. We live it in a quieter environment. But how many of us haven't played the Hannah Montana? Being better than we actually are. Being better than we actually want to be. Playing a role that gets people to like us. I know I have. I know I have, surely. How many of us haven't played the wrecking ball? where we do things that really maybe we don't even want to do. Maybe we go farther, we walk farther with friends or with people, or we say stuff or we do stuff we really wouldn't want to or we're more crass or we're more coarse because it gives us the image that we want with the society around us. How many of us haven't? I know I have. I go back to my high school, end of high school, starting college days, and I know the exact same thing was true. I would do things I wasn't really proud of or wanted to do because it cultivated an image that I wanted to have. What I'd do is wait for the feedback, and then I'd adjust accordingly so I could get the correct image in their mind of me. I think we all have a little bit more Miley Cyrus in us than we think. What do we actually take our identity in? Are we listening to everyone else's comments back? And are the comments even really forming who we are, like this woman in John 4? Are we beginning to live the way people talk about us? Well, if that's what they say, then might as well just do it. You know, all, all garments, they have a manufacturer tag on them. Back of my pants, if you pull that out, or if you look in the back of your um, shirt, there's probably a tag in there. There's a manufacturer tag. And it says who made it. Sometimes it talks about what it's made of, and it usually says where it was made. And these tags are in there to identify the manufacturer. And and no one has a right to put a tag on a garment other than the person who manufactured, who created that garment. They're the one who can put the tag on it. They're the one who can put the washing instructions. They're the one who can say where it came from because they're the manufacturer. They have the right to put the tag on it. 
I think if Miley was to sit down with Jesus and he was to have a heart-to-heart with her, maybe even some of us, he'd say, hey, check your tag for me. And reach, back, reach back and check your tag. Because the world may try to say all this about you, the world may try to cast all these things about you, but the world wasn't your manufacturer. The world doesn't have the right to put a name on you. The world doesn't have a right to identify you. Only your creator has the right to put a tag on you, and that's me. Check your tag. Check your tag real quick, because I think you'll find it doesn't say made in China, made in USA, made in Bangladesh. It says made in the image of God. Check your tag, because your tag says made in the image of God. I'm your creator. I'm the one who tags you. And what they say about it isn't what forms your identity. I'm the one who formed you. I'm the one who knitted you together. It says that in in Psalm 139. It talks about being knitted together. This is the the comment in in 139.14. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Jesus would say, man, I was there. I was the one who wrote the programming of your personality. I was the one who wrote the code to set up who you were going to be. I was the one who helped knit together the very fabric of your being inside of your mother's womb. I'm your creator. The the rest of the world, they don't have a right to tag you because I'm the one who manufactured you. Check your tag. I don't care what they say about you. What do I say about you? What's your identity? And Jesus would say to Miley, Miley, listen, listen, listen. It doesn't matter what the world says about you. I'm the one who created you. You don't have to twerk to gain self-worth, Miley. You, you don't got to ride on a wrecking ball to make a dent in this world. You don't need to stick your tongue out every five seconds to get people to listen to what you're saying. Say, Miley, I, I love you. When you say you love me, know I love you more. That's a Miley Cyrus song, if you were wondering. He'd say, Miley, it's not about what everyone else thinks about. Stop, stop thinking that, that they're the one who tags you, that you need to live up to their standards, that you need to play the Hannah Montana, or you need to play the wrecking ball. Who are you, Miley? Check your tag, because I'm the one who made you. And if I made you, I'm the only one who can tag you. It says, made in the image of God. So what I say about you is what's important, not what society says about you. I think Jesus might say the same thing to a lot of us that struggle and really is our identity formed in what we believe in God says about us or is our identity formed in what the world around us says about us? The people we go to school with, people we go to work with, our family, our friends. Who are we listening to more in determining what our identity really is? Man, I can tell you, God, he, he has a wonderful identity for you. It says this in, in John 1.12, but to all who believe him and accept him, he gives the right to become children of God. He says, you want an identity to hold on to? If you believe in me, I say that you are the son or daughter of God. Man, that's your identity. You belong to the king, that you're a royal priesthood. There's so much in scriptures about our identity and how much God cares for us. And what do we take our identity in? What would Jesus say to Miley Cyrus? I think he would say, who are you? Check your tag. Check your tag. Maybe reality is, is if he was to sit down with us, he would say the exact same thing. Maybe we have a little more Miley in us than we'd like to admit. 
Check your tag. Have you accepted the identity that your maker has given you? Are you still living the way the world said you're supposed to be? And what's your identity rooted in? Check your tag. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the fact that you truly are our manufacturer, that you're the one who created us, Lord, and you are the only one who can tag us. Lord, that other people's words and other people's comments, they're not what form our identity. Our identity is formed in you. And I just thank you, God, for being such a great manufacturer that you did knit us together so complex and you love us so much. And I pray that anybody here who, um, who doesn't have a relationship with them, that you would just turn their eyes toward you that you would convict him and say, man, start a relationship because it literally is easy as just saying, God, I'm sorry. Thank you for dying in my place. Please become the Lord of my life. That's all it takes. And God, we just pray specifically, even this morning, just for Miley Cyrus. Lord, that we know that you would want to sit down and have a conversation with her. And she's not too far away from us to say, oh, we don't want to talk about Miley Cyrus. We do. I pray, God, that you would meet Miley Cyrus even this morning. Lord, that you would send your spirit to come and talk to her. And Lord, I ask that you would meet her. Maybe you would say the same thing. Miley, check your tag. Check your tag. It's not about what the world says about you. What do do I say about you? And I pray, God, that you would come and you would meet her. You would show her your love and you would lead her into a relationship with you. We just thank you so much for this opportunity. I pray you'd bless every person here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.